I think for me, the thing that I've seen that really sort of sticks with me now is that you have to have everyone on the same page. So communication is obviously crucial. We talk about it all the time about being on the same page and what that looks like, but it, I find that it's actually quite quite hard to achieve. So it needs to be it needs to be from everyone. So not only the head coach, the assistant coaches, or the SNC. It includes the medical and the people behind the scenes and whoever else is involved with the club that they will share the same ideas and vision about where the club's going and how how the club should be viewed by from the outside in by other people. Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm your host and today my guest is Lewis Marza. Our key topic for today's chat will be the most effective ways to physically develop athletes. Uh, thank you for jumping on, Lewis. Really looking forward to our chat. No, mate, thank you. Excited to be here. You've had plenty of, plenty of high-quality guests on, so excited to be one of them. Yeah, no, pleasure to have you on, mate. And, and yeah, we're, like I mentioned, we're going to talk a little about development and long-term athlete development, which is some of the work you're doing at Western United, but for those that aren't aware of your work, mate, do you want to give us a bit of a background on you know, what you've done to, to get you to where you are today? Yep, so I started off a little while back doing probably what most did, a sport and exercise science degree undergrad, and then from there did a few different internships and started to double in personal training and then getting involved with some local sports clubs, mainly in soccer. So MPL, MPL2 was a level back then. And then from there, decided that the environment that I was in, in soccer, probably wasn't as well-rounded as what you can get in other sports. So I decided to take up an, another opportunity as an intern or an S, assistant SNC at Coburg Footy Club in the VFL. So I spent a bit of time there and eventually became a head of SNC there where I learned a lot. It was, it was actually critical because I was able to work in more of a multidisciplinary team, which I probably wasn't able to get working in the soccer club that I was at. Um, so that was sort of the next step for me. And then basically there was a, a new club starting out in the A-League in soccer and I always wanted to go back into soccer. So I think it was the end of the 2019 VFL season. Western United was starting their preseason. So brand new A-League club. So I just sort of pestered them and hit them up a little bit till, till I got a bit of a response and then became their their first intern as an SNC. So I spent a year interning with uh, West United, the A-League, with the A-League squad in their first season. And they did some work a little bit later after that as sort of like a reconditioning rehab SNC coach, working with the injured players that were based in Melbourne while the team was off in the in the hub in Sydney, finishing off the, the final series. And yeah, from there, I guess I had that connection with the club and went away for a year, did some more stuff in, in MPL soccer. And that was the COVID ravaged year, so there wasn't too much going on. Seasons were cancelled. And then the start of the next preseason got a call to go back to West United and, and run their SNC program for their senior academy, which is their under 23 and under 21 squads. So basically, the the reserve team for the A League setup. Oh, very good. And and you mentioned there being a pest and, and getting yourself in the environment for those listening in that are of that similar mindset. They want to give themselves the best opportunity to be to work in an elite club or, or be an intern or, or even just to be able to experience a day down there to see what it's like. Perhaps they're studying at the moment. What do you what do you find is the most effective way? Obviously, you've had 
some success in doing that and then even transferring into future roles after internship. But yeah, perhaps well, how do you get, I guess, your foot in the door? I guess the the big thing is yeah. just if you don't ask, you sort of don't get. So I think just don't be shy. Reach out to people. They'll give you the time of day and, and most people will respond. And if they don't, it's not a big deal. You can you can move on to the next person. Um, but yeah, definitely just just try and ask these people because they're, they're usually pretty good in in sort of getting back to you and, and sort of even just if it's, I don't know where to start, I don't know how to get an internship, but I just want to come in and just see how things are, are going, how, how, they're, how they work, how they're flowing. More often than not, yeah, people will be pretty happy to, to come and invite you into the club for a day. So so just don't be shy. Just up. Great advice, mate. And, and then what about when you're in? How do you put your best foot forward to set yourself up for a future role? Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because obviously there's no, nothing's guaranteed, right? So yeah. You do an internship, you're never going to be guaranteed a role. But I think the best thing you can do is is maximise that internship and and make the most out of it. Because I've I've sort of had a few interns of my own. Now I'm working in more sort of head head roles in clubs, and sometimes yeah, it's it's a stretch between these interns are, are working, they're going to uni, and they're trying to do their placement hours. And sometimes they don't give that full attention to the internship or to the to what they're doing and they don't make the most of it and it sort of just seems like something that they have to do to tick off their hours so if you are going to do an internship i think it's really important that you, you're going in there trying to make the most of it trying to ask questions trying to learn trying to take initiative being proactive and then also developing those relationships with the people that are around you in the club because we know how how quickly the things can change in sport so if you, if you do a really good job with one snc coach or even you know, there's an assistant coach or a head coach or someone else involved in the club. They just they move on to a new job. They might think of you as as their next ideal person for the job. So so yeah, just definitely take take advantage of the the networks and the relationships that you can build within the club and try to put your best foot forward and make the most of it while you're here. Yeah, yeah, it's well said, mate. Like you said, nothing's guaranteed. I think that's important as well to touch on that you, your expectation should be that. Yeah, disappointment if you, if you don't get a role as there's a lot of that's out of your control but like you mentioned you never know where it might lead not not just into that that exact club but actually future roles maybe in a couple of years time at that internship you did leads to a, a full-time gig at another another club because people do move around a fair bit in this industry so now well said mate and going back to yourself in terms of influencers or mentors if you like i imagine being at a couple of strong clubs in coburg west united there'd be some who who, who sort of come front of mind that have influenced your philosophy, if you like. Yeah, there's there's been a lot actually. I've sort of taken a little bit here and there from everyone, to be honest. I think back from BFL days, Coburg, definitely there was there was two sort of mentors there. We had a sort of setup where where there was one strength and power coach and one sort of speed and conditioning coach. So they had sort of their little sort of niche areas that they would focus on. So definitely took a little bit of a little bit of I guess information from both of them. That was it was Adam Valley was the conditioning coach at the time. So I think. Think a few people might know him now. He's done a bit of stuff with AFL umpires as well, Maribyrnong College, and the other one was Alex Rook, who's done a little bit of stuff in rugby, and he's now at Ace Performance. So they're still both going strong in the industry, and definitely two people that were crucial to my very early stages of learning and development back when I was at Coburg. And then I think for me after that, it was it was mainly the guys in Western. So the head SNC of the A-League squad and the assistant SNC, Andrew Rondinelli and Massimo Madoka. So both both have been really, really important. So they're sort of 
they were happy to show me the ropes in terms of pro sport and, and allow me to sort of take some ownership of parts of the program, which is really, really good for my development. Rondo's got a fair bit of experience in multiple sports. I think he's done some stuff in tennis, rugby, footy as well. He's been sort of all around and, and Massimo was a, was an ex-A-League player. So as a player, he's transitioned into now an SNC sports scientist and he's got some really good insights. You could imagine that you could learn from an ex-player that's now in this field of developing players and physical preparation. It's It's... He's got some really good insights on how to set things up, how, how to make things more enjoyable for the players, seeing as he was one at the top level for quite a while. Um, and then I think outside of the clubs, I've got a couple of other really good mentors, I would say. One of them, Sean Potter, good friend of mine. We worked in the same gym in Coburg for a while. He's, yeah, he's a top-notch coach, top-notch person, but he's always he's always there to help me. Whenever I've got questions or whenever we're discussing certain issues, he's, he's one of the main, main men I go to. Um, and then probably another another one would be or another two I'd say these are the other two that would probably I chat to the most in terms of just general stuff in the industry and and again discussions and whatnot would be John Cobiella who's a soccer based SNC coach who's sort of done a bit of stuff in in the A League in the past and Claudio Altieri as well who's sort of doing lots of stuff in soccer very much based with international teams or teams overseas so yeah both got really good insights that i can sort of start to to take and learn from their experiences i guess for me i can't get that experience hands-on and firsthand so if i can sort of gather that from from these sorts of guys then yeah that can that could help me definitely in the future And you, and you touched on the importance of putting yourself out there to gain these experiences. Uh, how do you go about building your network and, and finding out about these people that are in clubs, perhaps in it, you know, if there's a, a club that you want to work in, how, or how do you think the best way is to build those connections? Is it through people that you already know in your network? Is it LinkedIn, Twitter? Talk us through your, your favorite way to reach new networks. Yeah, I think for me it would be you're definitely talking to people you know first, people who might have a, a connection with someone in a club or in a, in a position that you find interesting or you want to talk to that person. So definitely start with people that you already know. So being you know in a sport and exercise science degree, you're going to come across lots of people. They're involved in sports. They're, they're involved in sports because of their other connections that might be involved in sports. So I would start with the people that you sort of you meet firsthand. And then definitely if there are people that you resonate with online, they're putting out really good content or they're sharing things that you sort of, you tend to always agree with or they're sharing things that maybe you don't agree with, that they're always sort of challenging to your thought process, then I guess they're the the types of people you want to reach out to. And I guess, yeah, if you can't, you know, meet in person, potentially set up a call with them just to talk shop, just to learn, just to understand their viewpoints. Because yeah, you can definitely get a lot from a conversation with someone in that, I guess, in that space that you're sort of looking up to. You get a lot out of that, um, just as much as probably what you might do if you you know visit a club for a day. But I guess I guess that's the the difference is you do go and visit a club, even if it is just for a day. Uh, you find that the people that um, may have invited you or have allowed you to come through, they're actually quite busy. They're actually hands on doing a lot of stuff, so they might not have time to explain the ins and outs of what they're doing to you. So maybe getting them on a call might be a better option because they can sort of dive into a bit more detail about stuff that you might have seen or have questions about. But yeah, they're probably the main things. Yeah. Yep. And going back to your career, mate, there's some highlights that spring front of mind that you're you know, proud of that you've been able to achieve so far or, or perhaps stories that you're yeah, happy enough to, to be a part of. Yeah, for sure. I think for me, you always remember 
winning silverware. So that's not the be all and end all of the job, and it's definitely not. You're just one piece in the in the in the puzzle, so to speak. Like it's definitely a nice feeling to to, I guess, experience that. So when my first ever season as an SNC coach at St Albans Saints in the FPL two, they had been sort of floating around mid table for a few years, and then all of a sudden we we'd gone in and, and won the league that very first season. So that was definitely special. So that was a a title and a promotion in the same year and then a highlight for me was actually getting to work in that NPL level that top tier in the state level for soccer with the same club the next year that club was also their strong Croatian club they've got a Croatian background and they also hosted Croatian tournaments or national tournaments with all the other Croatian clubs around the, the country so that year was pretty cool because we'd won the title but we'd also won both of the national tournaments out of all the Croatian clubs that year as well so definitely some yeah. some pretty uh, pretty fond memories from back there and I think as well, the next one would be just being a part of, of Western United as well. I guess their academy team that I'm working with now started in the MPL3, which would be considered, I guess, the third tier in the starting MPL3. And basically the first season that they competed was sort of a, a cancelled season due to COVID. But the next season when I was there was really exciting because we'd, we'd actually secured promotion that season as well. So didn't quite get to the to the top of the, the ladder this time, but was able we were definitely able to to get the job done in a playoff match and get promoted to NPL 2. So that was a big one. And then although I wasn't directly working with the A-League men's squad at the time, when the when the A-League men's squad won the the A-League grand final in their third ever season, yeah, definitely involved in the celebrations and the parties. So that's something that I'll, that I'll never forget either. Yeah, it's an amazing achievement from a club that in three years to take out the, a professional league. Um, yeah, it must be it must have some great people involved to get that amount of momentum early on. What have you learned from working at the club about, you know, I guess success leaves clues. So what have you learned in those successful clubs that you've been a part of? Is there common trends from, from different leagues that you see to win that ultimate silverware? I think I think for me the thing that I've that really sort of sticks with me now is that you have to have everyone on the same page. So communication is obviously crucial we talk about it all the time about being on the same page and what that looks like but it, I find that it's actually quite quite hard to achieve so it needs to be it needs to be from everyone so not only the head coach the assistant coaches or the SNC it includes the medical and the people behind the scenes and whoever else is involved with the club that they will share the same ideas and vision about where the club's going and how how the club should be viewed by from the outside in by other people and i think if you can get that if you can get that right and sort of push really push what you're trying to do as an snc or a high performance coach within that program and sort of set the standards of of like a hard working culture and a, and, a, and a sort of culture of always looking to improve and develop as opposed to sort of being sort of content with where you're at then i think yeah if you really drive in improvement and development then you can start to see some some pretty good things happen for sure yeah yeah, and you mentioned challenges. You know, to maintain everyone being on the same page. What do you think it it takes for, yeah, for a cohort of of, a, of people working in different areas of the club to be able to stay on the same page? That a leadership thing. You mentioned communication. Yeah, what do you what do you think are some key qualities for for players and staff to be able to stay on the same page and live the same values? Well, I think it definitely starts from the coach. If you have the right head coach and all of their sort of recruiting, recruitments and signings after that are going to be in line with what the head coach is looking for. So if the head coach has the freedom to sort of decide on, I guess, the right people to bring in and 
those people can sort of really buy into what the, the head coach is driving. It's, it's going to be a lot easier for everyone to be on the same page from day one, um, as opposed to sort of having a, a staff chop and change, people coming in, people leaving, things changing, things changing all the time can be a little bit tricky. But I think that consistency of coaching staff and, and the message that you're sending is is one of the keys definitely to, to get that across. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to your career, mate, what have been some significant challenges that you've faced working in professional sport? I imagine there's been a few. And, and yeah, what have you learned or have you grown from it as a practitioner? I think in, in that COVID year, especially when we're sort of in and out of lockdown about three or four times here in Melbourne, that was a big challenge for me. I think definitely trying, still try and give the players what they needed in terms of S&C, but not sort of take it away from them trying to get some type of, I guess, some type of escape from all the negativity associated with the lockdown. <coughs> I think that that was definitely a challenge of trying to get the balance right between how much and what type of training they should be doing in those one, two, three week lockdown, and then getting them to sort of also find ways to sort of get their mind off things as well, because it was a challenging time. A lot of the players were sort of out of work, weren't able to work during the time. So that was a challenge that I guess more and more people were facing was that they didn't sort of know what to do with their time when they weren't allowed to leave the home and they weren't allowed to work. So trying to find other fun ways to, to engage the players while also getting them to still work hard so that they could be ready when we were to return to sport. That was definitely a big challenge. But I think another really valuable experience was working in the with West United in their first ever season as a startup club. I think it's it's incredible how much work goes in behind the scenes, how much extra hours everyone puts in to make to make a club work, to make especially a brand new club, the amount of attention to detail, the amount of hours, the amount of everything that goes on that not just the SNC and the medical departments are doing, but everyone that was part of the club was doing. That's definitely a lesson that it, it just goes to show that if everyone could sort of dig deep and work hard and have this vision or this goal in mind, you can definitely achieve some some pretty amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's a it takes significant amount of work for you know, bringing in a new staff member into a team, let alone everyone being new to to the environment. So I can only imagine the amount of work that would have been going into that, and, and I imagine learning from everyone. But but clearly, what was done worked as it was pretty quick success. Going into the key topic, mate, as a physical long term and physical development, clearly it's a big part of your role. But for for the role that you're in, for those that aren't aware, what would be some of your key focuses or big rocks, if you like, from a daily point of view, or even maybe from a weekly point of view? Yep. So the age group that I'm working with at the moment is under 23s and under 21s. So if you look at sort of the the LTAD sort of frameworks and and all that sort of thing, basically these guys are mostly 17 and over. So when you look at that sort of age group, they're sort of looking more towards the the more developed the more developed side of the juniors or elite youth athletes. So They've sort of gone through their peak height velocity. They've they've gone through puberty. They've started to develop some some muscle mass, and basically they're at a point where they could actually be pretty safely loaded in a variety of different stimulus. So for me, the big rocks is making sure that they're hitting their their strength sessions every week. We have two strength sessions a week for these guys. We have more in preseason where we can sort of take take back a little bit of their training loads on the field in the pre in the in the off season and the preseason, and sort of do a bit more gym based stuff to set them up for a bit more of a maintenance style program in season. That's definitely better focus with this age. And then I think the other stuff that's really important is that you, you 
you're making sure that you're you're hitting all aspects of your conditioning and your speed work as well. So, you know, whether it's a weekly speed session or, you know, weekly sprints or they have a, a top-up set of conditioning that they might have to do based on, you know, turnaround times between fixtures, definitely make sure we're incorporating that. And then one that I definitely always like to keep in the program is plyometrics as well. So um, most of the plyometric stuff we'll do is on-field and we'll use that as part of their... We have like a little ADP or athlete development sort of program section that we sort of include at the start of sessions. And they'll definitely touch on plyos, plyometrics a couple of times a week, as well as all those other sort of qualities that I was mentioning. And, and when you're new to a, a club, what are some of your most effective ways or, or I guess advice for SNCs going into a development role to gain buy-in from the athletes so your program can be yeah most effective? I think, I think it might depend on the sport as well. But if you're working in soccer, for me, a big thing that players really enjoy and coaches actually are quite fond of it as well is that you're, you're able to sort of include more football-specific stuff within whatever development stuff that you're doing. So whether that's including a, a passing drill, a passing component or a dribbling component or something with the ball, just to show that you're getting a little bit more technical aspect of the sport involved in what you're doing as well. So it's not just all about, I guess, s I think that could be really helpful to get guys on board in terms of buying into the program or what you're doing. Because even if you're just trip feeding a couple of drills that have the ball involved throughout the week, then your other sessions, you could say, all right, well, we're not using the ball today, but we're going to focus really heavily on this component today, which is, you know, something that I might deem as really important for the program, but the, the other coaches, the technical coaches might not. So so having a little bit of a blend of those two can definitely help with your buy-in. Yeah. Yeah. And what about like each role will have its set of challenges? What are some, yeah key challenges that you think are pretty common no matter what of the person that's in, in a role or, or sport, I guess, in a, in a development role? And what are some solutions for those challenges from an SNC point of view? Yeah. So I think a lot of a lot of people who might be in a, in a junior setup, the, the biggest, I guess, barrier or hurdle they're going to have is that they might not, might not have access to a gym or to a weight room or to anything where they can sort of load the players up in terms of strength. So so being resourceful and being creative in ways that you can load these guys up is going to be really important for your development. And I think it's definitely possible because if you're going to be working with junior players, you know, sort of 17 and under, there's definitely value in in utilizing, you know, bodyweight strength methods or um, light to load strength training, technical-based movement efficiency type training, bands, all sorts of stuff that you can use and implement into a program to actually get a really good stimulus for for these younger guys as well yeah well said mate and that when following those body weight programs what would have been some effective resources that you found to be able to i guess follow from a soccer or, or even in the vfl perspective in terms of the body weight i think yeah i think you need to know how to obviously regress an exercise and adjust it to to fit the person um I guess if, you, if you're getting a, a squad full of, I guess, 13-year-olds that have never been into the gym before, they don't really have an understanding of what strength conditioning is or, or movements in the gym might be, like the core movements that you might do, you need to know how to, say, adjust what a pull-up is or a push-up is or give them, I guess, something to help them with their squat technique if they're not able to squat with their, their heels down on the ground or, or something like that. Just being able to, to regress and progress exercises when needed can definitely be really helpful. And like you mentioned, you're involved in the A-League men's team. When you're on the gym floor compared to 
being with the under-23s, what are some differences that you see from a physical preparation point of view for academy players compared to professionals? I think the main difference is that the, the pros have just got a few more years of training under the belt. So they're going to be stronger, they're going to be more powerful, they're going to be quicker. So for us, it's all it's all the same stuff really with this, especially the 17 plus age group that I'm sort of working with mainly. They're at a point now where they can start to really develop sort of their strength and power qualities in the gym and their speed and their change of direction and their anaerobic and aerobic capacities on the pitch. So the stuff that they do is actually quite similar. I would just say that the, the level the level that they're at in terms of training age is is a differentiation between those guys. So we're striving to to get these guys to to be to be essentially doing what the A League guys are doing because they could get if they, they perform really well and they're a standout for us this season, they could be offered a scholarship contract at the end of the season to, to join the A League squad. So we want to make sure that the our players are going to be ready to just step into an A League environment and be able to to cope with the training that they're doing as well. And after seeing that process where you've got the under 23 that 17 to 23 year old do you think there's a place for it in australian rules football obviously you've worked in the vfl where basically there's nab league and then if you don't get drafted you, you play state league do you think there's a place for yeah, an under 23 league in australian rules football and, and if so what are some of the benefits it's a good question i don't know how it would work i think i think there's definitely there could be some benefits to it for sure. I know there's there's you know there's the next gen academies for some clubs that have sort of younger age groups coming all the way up. But I think I think the the beauty of it of the VFL is that you know these guys that might be first year or, or sort of not breaking into the to the AFL squads, they get to play in the VFL against against men against really really good quality athletes, and that's where most of the development's going to occur. So. I think the setup is is almost quite similar in the sense our academy boys will play against senior men's teams as well. So we're playing against senior men's teams in the MPL too at the moment, which would be essentially be the division below the VFL. So I still played against senior men, but obviously with a much younger squad. So I think our average age is about 20 for the under 23s and I think it might be 17 or 18 for the under 21. So they're much younger than the age group allows, but the fact that they get to play against senior opposition is, is really crucial for their development. Yeah, and do you have much to do with the parents of the squad that you're looking after or, or is that something that someone else in a different role sort of manages? Yeah, there's, there's a little bit of contact with the parents. I think mainly most information that I'm sending out to the guys will, will be sent directly to players. So whether that's in terms of recovery or nutrition type stuff, that'll go straight to the players. But then we definitely have a focus on education. So... Uh, a lot of these players obviously have never been in in an elite academy environment before, so they they don't have an understanding about some of the concepts around training, nutrition, recovery, sleep, hydration, all these sorts of things. So we're starting to put together education sessions for players and parents, so they could both be a part of that process, so that players and parents can help players to make a bit more informed decisions about what they should be doing in terms of all those all those concepts that I was just talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's great, mate. Isn't it? And have you found that there's, a, in terms of getting the parents on board, uh, is it a matter of, uh, imagine there's a balancing act of you want the athletes to drive it and you want the parents supporting it, but what, what have you seen in your experience is a successful sort of uh, balance between the parent and, and the athlete in driving this this process, I guess, and in, in, in how you sort of encourage the athlete over time to yeah, start to take more ownership? Yeah, I think... 
I think especially with the age group that I'm working with, it, it definitely comes a lot from the players themselves. So they're at an age now where they're sort of, you know, last couple of years of high school, maybe starting uni. They're definitely at a point where a lot of their decisions are their own and they're starting to to make better choices about, you know, what they're doing outside of training as well. And a lot of the questions will come directly from the players too. So I think, yeah, I think mostly with the older age group that I'm working with, that yeah, it's definitely self-driven from the players and the parents will help support that where they can. But for the younger age groups, haven't had as much experience chatting with parents of younger age groups regarding that sort of thing. But I would yeah. say in my experience, I guess in like the private setting when I'm working with younger players, it's definitely it's definitely a lot of conversations with parents about, I think the main thing is younger younger sort of athletes that are getting told certain things by their parents they don't sort of want to listen although they don't yeah, think yeah. that their parents know what they're talking about so sometimes it's just a matter of all right what is the main message you're trying to get across as a parent how can i help facilitate that message and also just give a bit more information um about that topic based on my own experiences and knowledges and knowledge so that i can help that younger athlete so yeah discussing with the parents and then try to just relate with with the younger athlete and put things across in, in more simple terms or more relatable terms for them to understand and, and I guess absorb that information is definitely something you try to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, mate. And moving to the next session, in terms of common mistake that you've seen or experienced yourself or perhaps S&C coaches you think could be making, we're all about making mistakes. That's the best way to learn and grow. But what do you think is some common ones that perhaps C's could listen to this podcast and prevent from hearing from your advice? And, and what are some common solutions to try and prevent making those mistakes with academy programs? I think for younger athletes, especially ones that are sort of seemingly pretty well developed physically already, it's important not to go not to go too crazy with those guys. The, I guess the rate of maturation and things like that and you know, players in different age groups and different sort of growing at different rates. You, you know, you're gonna you're gonna see all sorts of different issues that come up with 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 youth athletes playing sport and the, the medical issues that might be involved with that. So lots of overuse injuries, lots of shin splints and Osgood slutters and, and all sorts of hip issues going on. I think the best thing is to make sure that you get them to get them training really consistently first. So they're not just really ad hoc when they're when they are doing their gym based training. So they're not just coming in, you know, one session this week and then oh I've missed out. I had to go to training the next week, club training that I, I didn't do a gym session for three weeks. Now I'm back in, but I want to I want to continue doing exactly what I was doing before I left off. So it's just being a little bit smarter about getting that message across to be a bit more consistent with your training and that you don't have to go really hard all the time. Just Get the get the consistency of the movement patterns in. Make it a habit. Make it really repeatable and simple and easy to follow. And then you can start to layer in, especially when they start to really sort of mature and start to grow. And you can definitely tell that they're they're out of their their sort of peak high velocity stage and they're and they're sort of maturing through puberty. Then that's when you can start to say, all right, this athlete is a bit more comfortable with their you know the coordination with their changing limb lengths and changing body types that now we can start to see that the technique's been really good for quite a while we could start to load them up a little bit more heavy now mm. yeah some gems there that hopefully the notebooks came out mate and thanks for, thank you for sharing you, you also manage a gym can you talk us through your motivation to open up a gym and how you balance working in elite sport and also the private sector. Yeah, so I've got a gym based out in Brunswick. It's called Rebuild Health and Performance. It's actually a, a rehab or a physio clinic as well. So that started just after COVID. And basically, I, I just finished up with, with Western United that first season that I was there. And I'd done a season with Brunswick City in the NPL. Um, 
and that season got cancelled due to COVID. And then basically, yeah, I just hadn't done anything club-based for a little while. And my business partner and I had been talking for years about opening up something that we could sort of run and do our own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a physio as well. So for us, we were constantly referring clients to each other, which is another, I guess, another thing that's really important in our, in our lines of work is that you need to have a good network of specialist coaches or physios or whoever else around you that you can, when you don't have the ability to, to service that person, you can send them to the right people. So he was someone that I was constantly sending people to and vice versa. When he would he would see athletes that had previous injuries that would get on top of their niggles and stuff, he would say, look, it's probably a really good idea for you now to get into some consistent strength conditioning. So he would send it to me. But yeah, we've decided to open that that business to basically, yeah, keep that relationship going and try to, to double down on sort of what we're doing in our separate practices and bring it all under one roof and try and really give the the full sort of service to, to our athletes. Yeah. And for those that haven't worked in the private sector or, or developed their own business, is there some crossover in working in as a practitioner in sport? And, and if so, what are some of the benefits? Yeah, definitely. I think there's some huge differences between private sector SNC and, and club-based SNC. For example, when you're sort of working with guys in, in the private sector, you don't have a really clear understanding of what they're doing on the pitch. So it's it can get really difficult sometimes, especially when you're trying to have that conversation with these athletes about certain topics that they sort of make sense to you as, as someone who's been in the industry for a while and you're trying to find out what, what are your themes of training? What, what do you do on each night when you're at the club? You know, do you do speed stuff on this night? Do you do conditioning on this night? What does it sort of look like? And a lot of the time, depending on the level of sport, there's, there's no structure to what they're doing. So it's really hard to know how to place certain things in someone's program. For example, if you're trying to get some some eccentric hamstring work in because it's something that this athlete really needs, but you're not sure if they've got sprinting components at their club training, it can be really a tricky situation to try and program effectively for those people. But I think the crossover, yeah, the, of of being being in a club setting definitely helps with how you program your gym based stuff outside of outside of their club based training because you sort of have a better understanding of what they might be doing on each night and especially in terms of returning to play rehab space you've got a better understanding of what they can and can't do when they're returning to the club so for example someone coming back from a from a strain just a, let's just say it's a hamstring strain they might be ready to return to training but you don't want to throw them straight back into the deep end straight away without sort of understanding that they can tolerate the loads that they're that they're being given at training so you might i guess as someone who's been working in a club you might then say to them all right I think it's a good idea for you to do partial training at the club this week. I want you to go to training, but I want you to do, you know, the warm-up. I want you to do the passing practice that they might be doing, get involved in some of the small small games. But as soon as there's some transition-based drills or big match simulation drills, or there's going to be lots of sprinting, that's when you come out and you do your specific runs instead. So we might give them some, some distance and some speeds to hit instead of joining into that drill and doing that drill with that sort of chaotic that might push them to a level that they're not quite ready ready for just yet. So yeah, definitely that return to play, being in a club has, has helped with being able to return to play these these guys that are in rehab. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, and moving over to the last part of the show, mate, the personal side, what, do you have pet peeves? Anything that fires you up in the industry or with working with athletes in your work life? Pet peeves, I think. Uh, pet peeves for me in, in the private sector is last minute cancellations that's that's a killer for any coach so i know most of you guys can relate to that so yeah, it is definitely a pet peeve but i think in terms of athletes the biggest pet peeve would be when when you when you rock up into the gym and 
you know, the program's set and you're ready to start and they decide to start doing whatever they want instead of the program for that. And you have to go, what's going on? What are you doing? What, what's all this about? And they decide to go on this tangent about which athlete they saw doing this on Instagram. So they decided that their program is now going to be this instead of the uh, the club S&C program. So that's that's definitely <laughs> a pet peeve. <laughs> the joys and of today's technology, hey? Everyone thinks they're an S&C. What, what's your favorite way to spend a day off? I had the morning off today, actually. So got up, went for a run, and just had a nice breakfast. And I think, yeah, just chilled out, to be honest. So I don't get a lot of free time. So when I do, I try not to do too much, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, definitely spending time with friends and family. And if I get a chance to this year, hopefully there's not too many clashes in my in my working sort of schedule that I can go and watch a few games, um, games of footy as well. I'll go watch Essendon. I'm a big fan. So hopefully we can do something a little bit better this year. Yeah. Yeah. Good start for the Dons round one. So it's a bit of momentum there. Uh, well, thank you for coming on, mate. And share with us your, your experiences in, in athlete development, both across VFL as well as the A-League and the Academy program. You've got a fair few things going on for 2023, including managing your own gym as well as working in sport. What, what are you most excited about for, or what's on the horizon, I guess, for the rest of the year for you? Yeah, I think for me, there's a few things that I want to start to to build out in terms of in terms of services and offerings at Rebuild. So I'm working a little bit behind the scenes in, in about sort of starting to get a bit of a, a mentor slash internship program going. So I just want to make sure that that's all, that's all exactly how I want it before I start to sort of get that thing going. And then, yeah, for, I guess in terms of the club stuff, yeah, just keep, keep going with the academy. Hopefully the boys can do, do well this year now. And my goal for them is that some of them can, can get some contracts at the end of the year, regardless of sort of where the team finishes at the end of the season. Yep. And a listener has just sent through in a question for you, mate, and it is from Gualam. Is it elite athlete body or a mindset which is important? So I guess it's, yeah, is it more the physical side that you focus on in your role or or the psychological side? I think there's a pretty big crossover, to be honest. You'll find that, yeah, certain, depending on the drills or the exercise that you're doing, some can be a little bit more physical sort of focused because you're trying to to to, I guess, get a stimulus and an adaptation from that exercise. But then there are some things that you will do that um, their, their reasoning for that, for doing those exercises is a little bit more of a mental thing. So understanding that you can you can sort of do things that you thought previously were not possible. And so just, I guess, giving athletes that, that frame of reference about what they actually can push to is, is definitely a really important part of trying to develop performance and and get to that next level for sure yeah absolutely well said mate and yeah thank you again for coming on for, for anyone that wants to send through some follow-up questions or, or get in contact mate and, and perhaps work with you as well for any of the parents listening in or, or developing athletes and work at rebuild with you where's the best place to get in contact yeah so i'm pretty pretty active on instagram at sports underscore lewis is where you could find me there otherwise yeah any sort of contact through Rebuild. Visit rebuildhealthandperformance.com.au. You can contact us through there and we'll be all across any communication through there as well, for sure. Perfect. And yeah, for those listening in that might be driving, listening to podcasts, we'll add those links in the show notes. But yeah, thank you for everyone that's tuned in to this week's episode. We will publish it next Wednesday. So if you tuned in halfway through for the, from now till next Wednesday, you can watch this on our YouTube channel. Make sure you do. Lewis has uh, dropped gems all the way throughout, whether you're a strength editioning coach or for developing athletes. And our next live chat is with Rhett Larson, who's also a strength editioning coach, and uh, he'll be discussing 
and presenting on how to add fun to a high-performance environment. So that'll be next Wednesday, the 29th at 1 o'clock. So I'll see you guys then. Thanks again, Lewis. Thanks, Jack. Have a good one, mate. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from the Hollywood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah it certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's if you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that, in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's, that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of 
didn't have that fear fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.